0: Turn over to the book of Matthew chapter six this morning. Matthew chapter six. We're looking at what we call the disciples' prayer. We commonly know it as the Lord's Prayer. <clears throat> and I just want to read it for us this morning, Psalm, or I mean Matthew chapter six. Beginning in uh, verse 9, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Last week we looked at... (coughs) The fatherhood of God and and all that was captured in that first phrase: "There our Father in heaven," and uh, we learned that that our Father is is much like a uh, dad to us. That's what that word means: "Abba," Father, and uh, it's it's someone who cares for us, who wants to have an in, input into our lives. He doesn't want to be as uh, some people feel that God is a distant God that's unrelated to us. He, want, he wants to be uh, intimately involved in all of our lives. And one of those ways is through prayer. And so Jesus is giving us a model here of how to pray. He's not giving us a prayer to repeat over and over and over, but he's really giving us a model on how to pray. And uh, a lot of times when we think about prayer, a lot of times we focus on, a couple different things, and usually it's our needs. We go to God and, and we have different things that we need, and so we basically come to God and we say, Hey, I, I want this, I need this, help me in this area. And, and that's kind of usually a last resort for some of us. We try everything we can, and then when that doesn't work and we're kind of frustrated, we, ah, oh, you know what, I forgot to pray. Maybe I should pray about this. And um, prayer is much more than that. God wants so much more um, out of prayer for us and he really wants it to be a way that we can draw closer to him in communion um true prayer really brings the mind right into the presence of god into his character into his attributes everything and true prayer really brings the mind into that immediate contemplation of who god is and that's what prayer should do it's not just a want list it's not just a give me list um Prayer is to impress you and I with, with, with God so much more than we are trying to impress God with our needs. matter of fact, the Bible addresses that. It says, before you even ask, I know what you're going to ask for. That's not the purpose of prayer, just to ask for things. That's fine. But that's not the purpose of prayer. And you go back to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 13, when Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it in order that what? The Father may be glorified in the Son. Why will God answer a prayer and and hear your prayer and answer it? He'll do it for His glory. That's the purpose of prayer. All of our petitions, all of our uh, supplications, requests, needs, trials, problems, all that are subject to under the umbrella of what will give him glory, and that should be our attitude when we come before God in prayer. We shouldn't just barge into His things and say, "Oh, you know, I've got a achy shoulder. Help me with the shoulder." And got you know financial problems. I got this. Got this. that's not what prayer is about. And Jesus was trying to teach the people of His day by this model prayer how much more prayer should be. When you stop and think about it, when you when you come to worship God, where do you begin? Where do you begin when you, when you stop and you say, okay, you know what, I want, I want to worship God a little while. Well, you have to start with God Himself. You have to start with the attributes and the nature of God Himself. And when you come into that time of worship, and we've all probably been there in our own personal lives and even corporately at times, when it doesn't matter what's going on around us, we're so focused on God that it's, it's, it's Him we're seeking and he is, is, is communing with us through that time of worship. And during that time, you're probably not thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about how you can get glory. You're thinking about God and his glory. That's what true prayer is all about. Most people don't think that way, though. They think of prayer as an effort to bring God into line with their own desires. God, here's my plan. Now, bless it, please. Amen. You know, well, what if God doesn't, if that's not God's plan, what are you going to do then? Is he going to bless that? Absolutely not. And so we have to be in subject to his sovereignty in our lives. We have to go to God with the idea that it's not about us. It's about God and his will and his sovereignty. You know, you see this on TV all the time. You see people with you know on, on these television shows these these teachers and and they'll be you know uh, saying you know you just you just tell god what you need and you just demand it because you have a right as a child of god you don't have a right to demand anything from god who do you think you are god is the most high the creator of everything around us it's amazing that we would be so bold as to tell god what he should do god is all powerful we're not And you know what? Really, those kind of prayers that we see a lot of times on television and other arenas as well, you know, uh, name it and claim it kind of mentality, they're not anything new. Turn back to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. Prayer is so much more than just going to God and listing off some needs or wants that we desire. Now, this is is Jacob, basically, here. And and what he's doing is he's taking a vow. And it it says in verse 20 that Jacob vowed a vow. He's a patriarch. And he said here in uh, verse 20 of uh, Genesis 28, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way, That I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then what? Then the Lord shall be my God. Hold on, Jacob. Who do you think you are? You know, this God isn't the kind of a thing that you order on TV and you get in the mail and say, I don't like it. I'm going to send it back. You know, if it meets all your needs, then you can keep it we'll give you your money back you can send it back whatever that's not the kind of god we serve and he started off his prayer all wrong if god will be what with me he says and do this and do that and do that well then i'll make you my god see a lot of times people come to christ and that's exactly how they come to christ they have felt needs in their lives and they say well how is christ going to meet my felt needs My marriage stinks. My kids are out of control. I have financial problems. I don't like my job or whatever. Maybe if I come to Christ, God will make everything nice. Beloved, that's not why you want to come to Christ. The reason that you come to Christ, the reason that you bow your knee at the cross of Christ and come to Him as your Lord and Savior, the only reason is that you're in need of forgiveness for your sin. See, there's not a person sitting here today that at some point in some time in their adult life, in their childhood life, has not sinned in some way against a holy God. If you are, I want to come and touch you because you're perfect. Maybe you'd rub off. See, we're all falling short, the Bible says. We have all are in need of forgiveness. We all have a, a, a heart that's darkened with sin. It's desperately evil, it says. And you may look real nice on the outside, but you know what? On the inside, your heart is black as coal, God says. And you say, Well, I'm a good person. I try to. Well, no, you're not. You're not because God says you're not. God says all have sinned and fallen short. That means you're coming up weighing in the scales. That says basically that you're, you're trying maybe, but you're not making the mark. Trying to get to heaven on your own good works or on your own righteousness is is, is just ridiculous. It's like trying to jump from here to the moon. You may be the best high jumper in the world you're not going to make it to the moon there's no way it's impossible there's no way you're going to breach that door of heaven if you're basing your salvation on who you think you are or what your righteousness is or what works you do or how good you are all that doesn't matter to god god simply says you know what i don't want to hear it that's not the point the point is is that you have a sin in your heart, you have a life that's darkened with sin, a heart that's darkened with sin. You need a remedy. The only remedy there is, beloved, is the only remedy that God gave. He didn't give plan A, B, and C. It's not like, you know, the price is right. Carol Barrel, what's behind door A? Or door one, or whatever. It doesn't work that way. God says there's one way to heaven. Only one See, when we come to Christ with conditions placed upon our salvation, if you'll do this, God, if you'll do that, God's saying, "Uh uh-uh, that's not genuine. Because your heart is not broken before me. You're coming for what you can get from me. You're coming for what I can do for you. You're overlooking the fact that, you know what, you are lost and on your way quickly to hell. If you don't repent, if you don't change your mind about the way you're going and look to Christ, the Savior. That's what the Bible says. And when you get to that point in your life, when you realize, you know what, there's nothing good within me. There's nothing I can do. I can go to church till I'm blue in the face. I can pray till I'm you know, falling asleep. It doesn't make any difference. I can read the Bible over and over and over. If I'm outside of Christ, if I've yet to put my faith, my trust in Christ, if I haven't yielded my heart to His Lordship, then that's all for none. The Bible says all those good things are like filthy rags. They're like dirty rags that you'd roll up and throw in the corner of a, of a, of a greasy garage somewhere. They're no use to anybody, especially not to God. See, prayer has the purpose not of just getting something from God, but it has the purpose of uplifting God, of of bringing God to His rightful place. When we pray for things and God answers those prayers, who gets the glory? He does, rightfully so. We don't walk away around saying, you know, hey, I prayed for this and God answered my prayer, so I'm gonna. Print a book and say, hey, everybody's got to pray this prayer, because if you pray this prayer, then this is what will happen. That's ridiculous. And yet people fall for that all the time. Prayer is the purpose, has the purpose of lifting God up, setting God in his rightful place, putting his majesty on display, putting his sovereign will on display. That's what prayer is for. And so when Jesus came to this prayer <clears throat> back in, in Matthew chapter 6, this model prayer that He gave us, He says very clearly, hey, I'm going to list some things off here and I, and I want you to pray in this way. First of all, hallowed be Thy name. Our Father in heaven, that's where you, you go. <laughs> that's, that's our Father. That's, that's the fatherhood of God. Then He says, hallowed be Your name. That's really talking about the priority of God. See, we're focusing on God when we go to prayer. We don't focus on ourselves. And we've got it totally switched. It's like the enemy did a a bait-and-switch thing with us when it comes to prayer. Because we think a lot of times the only reason we pray is because we need things. We need God's protection. We need God's this. We need this. And so we go to God in prayer at those times. And back then, in Jesus' day, the the Pharisees and the the, the Jewish folks of the day totally messed up the idea of prayer. I mean they they had it all wrong. They were counting on their righteousness, the outward righteousness, they dress up certain ways so they everybody could look at them and oh they're praying and all this. And as if God would be impressed with that. And and you know what? He's not. And so I don't think it's a coincidence here that when Jesus says, pray in this way, our Father in heaven, our Daddy in heaven, Abba, Father, it's kind of a casual term when it comes to God. And then He follows it right up and He says, hallowed be Your name. In other words, don't get too comfortable with the Abba, daddy kind of syndrome that's going around in christianity oh yeah my daddy upstairs you know i've heard that sometimes and people throw this phrase around you know oh, the big man upstairs and they get real casual in the relationship with god and we forget that we need to hallow his name it says hallowed be your name and we're going to look at what that means this morning see a father is a, is, a, is someone who cares for his children you see that in the story of the prodigal son. You see that whole thing kind of just out there, and the name when it says "hallowed be your name," a name means things. Back then, even more so than it did than it does today. My name's Stephen P H E N. It means "crowned one." I don't know where they really got that, but that's what it means. <laughs> Everybody here has a name. Everybody has a meaning behind their name. Back in this culture, it really meant something. And so we want to look at what does it mean when it says, hallowed be your name. God said to Moses, for example, I know you by name. Do you know that God knows you by name? Every one of us here this morning, He doesn't have to run into you and go, oh, uh, sorry, you know, your number is so and so. No, no He knows your name. If he ran into you on the street, he'd say, Hey, George, how you doing? Hey, John, how... He'd know your name. He'd even know your middle name and your last name. He'd know how many hairs were on your head, the color of your... He'd know everything about you. That's the kind of intimacy that God brings into the relationship. I always wondered, you know, when you read through some of these books in the Bible and you get to some of these genealogies, and it's name after name after name that you can't even pronounce, you know? And you're going, okay, God, what? how does this, what is this about? Who Who cares? You know, I always hate when I get to that point when you're reading through the Bible in a year. And you've got this, you know, chapters of names you've got to read through. I mean, you're so tempted just to go, yeah, 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 okay, let's see, we'll pick up again. <laughs> As if God didn't mean those names to be in there for a certain reason. He did. I think maybe one of the reasons was is that he's just showing us, you know what, names are important to me. I care about people, and people have names. Our Father cares for us. The Bible says in Matthew that even when a a, a sparrow falls to the ground, it says, your Father knows about it. I wonder if he does the same thing for the crows. <laughs> I wish some of those crows would fall to the ground. they just, yeah, they tear up the place around here. But you know what? In that verse, it doesn't, the, the language really doesn't do it justice. What, what it means is when one of those sparrows hops, <laughs> just hops a little bit, the father knows what's going on. He's so involved with everything. Our Father cares for us. He's our Dad. He's Abba, Father. But don't forget that we're called to hallow His name. In verse 9, that's what He says. It's interesting that when you go through this, says our father in heaven and then it says hallowed be our name that's the first petition the second one is thy kingdom come the third one is thy will be done when you get through those three then you can get to the part of the prayer where it says give us <laughs> right it says first of all the model of this prayer is you better be setting god in his rightful place before you start bringing your request to me Hallowed be Your name, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. And by the way, if You could give us this, if You could forgive us, if You could lead us, and then it comes right back, full circle, for Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. See, the ultimate priority in prayer is always God's priority. It's not our priority. When we say, Hallowed be Thy name, Your name, it puts God in His proper place in our mind what does that mean hallowed be thy name is that kind of like long live the king you know, what's he saying is it just a phrase he threw in there what's, what's he saying about that what's the bible say about that it really has the idea that you're, you're, you're grabbing a hold of all that God is. His nature, His characteristics, His attributes. And you're saying, this is who you are because of your name. It's not just talking about the literal name of God. It's not restricted just to a title. That's not what He's talking about. Today when we think of somebody's name, a lot of time it's just a name. That's it. We don't think of the meaning behind the name. We don't think of why they're called who they're called or what their name is or whatever it is. See, back then they, had, uh, they put a big emphasis on naming their children and why they would name them certain things. You can see that throughout the Bible. And when it came to the name of God, they were very particular in how they used His name. In the Old Testament, particularly, you read the word Jehovah. We see that over and over again. Well, you know what? In the Hebrew language, there is no such word as Jehovah. It's a non-word. Because they felt God was so lofty, they couldn't call Him by His rightful name. The name of God in Exodus is I am that I am, Yahweh, The other familiar name that we're familiar with is Adonai, which means Lord. The Lord God, Yahweh, Adonai. Adonai. A a Jew would never say those names because they they considered it too sacred. And so they had to come up with a, a phrase that would work. And so what they did is they took the consonants out of Yahweh, and they took the vowels out of Adonai, two names for God, and they put them together, and that's where we get the name Jehovah. That's where it comes from. They made it up so they wouldn't have to say the real word that is really God's name because they just thought, boy, it's, 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 too, you know, we, it's too holy. can't even speak God's name. And so what the Lord is teaching us here is that hollowing the name in which we have respect for who He is. It's not just His name, as they thought. It's not just a physical name, Adonai or Yahweh. It has the whole idea of encompassing everything that God is. All His characteristics. All His attributes. And there's a lot of different examples of that in Scripture. Back in Second Samuel, it says, The princes of the Philistines went forth, came to pass. And after they went forth, David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of God. Now, David got a good reputation with all the people back then. He behaved himself more wisely than Saul. Did I say God Saul and his servants so that in his, his name was much esteemed? Well, what does that mean? Just his name? No, it means his whole characteristics, his whole personality, everything that made up David was esteemed. Why? Because he behaved a certain way. They're not talking about the letters of his name. See, that's what the Jews did. They, they took the letters of, G, of God's name and they said, oh, these two holy, we've got to make something else up. And God's saying, you're missing it. You're missing it. The name stood for the whole character of the person. Back in Exodus chapter 34, Moses is having a little discussion with God about His glory and he wants to be sure that God is with him and he wants to be confident that God is there with him. And so in verse 18 of 33, he says, Show me your glory. Don't give me a job that I can't do without it, basically. I want to know that you're here. And then down in, in thirty four five he says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed what? The name of the Lord. Does that mean he just, Lord, 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 Lord? No, it's not talking about that. It's talking about everything that makes up God was proclaimed. His whole essence, his characteristics, his attributes. When you proclaim the name of the Lord, that's what you're doing. He goes on and he says, The Lord God, and he doesn't stop there. In verse 5 he says, Is merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, and will by no means clear the guilty. See, that's what it means to be a holy, just God. All those things wrapped up in one. See God says, God says, I will proclaim my name. What's my name? Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness. All those things make up who God is. And so when we hallow His name, we're not just talking about the physical name. In Psalm 9:10, it says, "Those who know Thy name put their trust in Thee. Those who know Thy name put Thee trust in Thee." Now, does that mean it's just oh, you just got to know God's name? And you're saved? Is that what it's talking about? No. It's not talking about just a physical name. It's talking about knowing all that God is. In Psalm 7.17, it says, I will praise the Lord according to His righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. The name being all that God is. That's what makes up the name of God. Psalm 102, verse 15 says, So the nation shall fear the name of the Lord. See, that's in in, in the New Testament, kind of the other end of this is where it says, you know, if you confess Jesus as Lord, you'll be saved. And people have taken that to mean, well, just say it. Just say those words. Just say Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. Go ahead, say it. And people have been led down a path of, of unbelief. Because they literally uttered those words. Okay, okay, I'll do it. Jesus is Lord. Now you're saved, brother. God bless you. Next. Is that what it means to be saved? I don't think so. Satan knows that Jesus is Lord. That doesn't save him. It's so much more than that. When you say Jesus is Lord, you're, you're, you're bringing your life, your entire life under the sovereign leadership of God. The sovereign headship of God. And when Jesus manifested Himself here on earth, the Bible says in John 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. The glory of who? It says the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, Jesus manifested God to us. Jesus said in, in, in John 17, 6, I have manifested thy name to the, the men whom thou hast given me. In other words, when he manifested himself, it, it, was, it, was, it was God he was manifesting. He wasn't here for his own glory. So it's not just some little phrase that Jesus throws in there. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of meaning behind God's name. As a matter of fact, He has a lot of different names in the Bible. I've listed them there, I think, in your notes for you Elohim, Creator, and, and all the way down. Have fun trying to pronounce some of them, but, uh, you know, that's, that's what they mean, basically. And you stop and you think that, you know, the, the basically, in the beginning, what? God. It's the third, third word in the Bible. Elohim, it means the Creator God. He's the one that's we're to hallow as the Creator. When we look at all the things around us, beloved, trust me, it didn't come out of some you know, primordial soup. God created what we see around us. The hymn writer put it so right when he said, "...I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise." that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies, I sing the goodness of the Lord that filled the earth with food. He formed the creatures with His word and then pronounced them good. Lord, how Thy wonders are displayed where'er I turn my eye. If I survey the ground, I tread or gaze upon the sky. Creatures as numerous as we are subject to Thy care. There's n- not a place where we can flee, but God is present there. See everything we see around us, everything we experience, God has created it. And so we need to hallow His name as Creator. And you can go right down there, and and whether it's the healer, peace, Lord of righteousness, Lord of hosts, provider. That's what it means to hallow his name is to understand what it's about so many times as Christians we wonder why we struggle in our Christian lives and a lot of Christians struggle because they don't understand the character of the God that saved them they have a hard time understanding who God is they don't they they could maybe name one or two of his attributes at best See, if you don't understand the God who saved you and who He is and His nature and the characteristics and the attributes, I'm not going to say you're going to totally 100% get it because God is far above us. But you can get the basics as you look through Scripture. When you, when you realize that God is everywhere at the same time. He's omnipresent everywhere at the same time. I don't know about you, but when I'm praying, God, be with me as I go to Florida next week. I wonder if God's not sitting up there going, you think I'm not going to be? I'm everywhere. What do you mean, be with you? Sometimes it's it's funny how we pray certain things. And I know in innocence we do that. But see, God calls us to a higher standard when it comes to prayer. He wants us to to know Him better through our time of prayer. So He gave Him various names and we can understand the different characteristics and attributes of God. And even in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ has many names. The bread of life, the living water, the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection, the good shepherd, the branch, the bright morning star, the Lamb of God, on and on and on it goes. In Isaiah 9, it says, Wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, Father of Eternity. See in Romans one five it says we preach the gospel that the nations may believe for the what for the sake of His name we don't do it for our own glory we do it for the sake of His name Third John chapter or verse seven <laughs> it'd be in trouble if we had chapter 3 John seven says we sent out preachers to preach for the sake of His name see and when you minister if you're involved in ministry which every Christian should be to some extent. There's no spectators in this faith. They're not called to be spectators. We all should be involved at some level of ministry within a local church. And as we're involved, we have to stop and say, why are we doing this? Am I doing this for the sake of your name, or am I doing this for the sake of moi, me? Because it's going it's to really kind of reveal itself eventually. Why do we do what we do? Well, hopefully if we understand the name of God a little bit, if we hallow his name more in our lives, if we set him apart, that's what that word means to hallow. Almost sounds like hey, I'm gonna go hollow a ditch, you know, it sounds like something you're gonna dig or something. That's not what it means. It means to set apart. It comes from the, the Greek word which means holy. Holy be your name. That's what hallowed means. Now you can stop and look at this from two different angles. Hallowed be your name. Do you mean when we say that, are we making God's name holy? No. It's used that way in some places. In some places it's used that way. 1 Peter one sixteen, where Peter says, Be ye holy. <laughs> What's he saying? He's saying, set yourself apart. Make yourself holy. Well, surely if God is holy, we can't make Him any more holy. Holy be your name. Well, if it's already holy, why is He telling us to say that? See, in 1 Peter, it means we're unholy to start out with. And by coming into contact with something that is holy, we can become Holy. Since God is eternally holy, it can't mean that here. Are we making God holy when we pray? No. God, I know you're unholy, and I know you're common and ordinary, but now this prayer is going to make you holy. It's going to set you apart. <laughs> no. Second way it's used in the Bible, and this is what it's used to here, is really it's used to treat something or someone as sacred. To hold something or someone set apart as holy. Regarded someone as holy or separated. You don't make them holy. They already are holy. They already are. They're regarded as such. Because that's their nature. And that's the God that we serve. He already is holy. I mean, aren't you glad God is holy? I mean, can you imagine if god wasn 't holy, if god wasn 't perfect, if god wasn 't forgiving if God i mean one one little step out of line I mean, if I was God, we 'd all be dead you know i mean i, I wouldn 't have the patience to put up with the, the you know just the stuff that we do sometimes, but see God is holy he 's perfect in every way we don 't make him that way. well, what does it mean to be holy? When you're saying this, hallowed be thy name. What's the difference? See, not everyone who's different is holy. That's kind of what this means. It's it's different, something that's set apart. But holy people are different. See, the basic idea is difference. It means God is in a different... A whole cosmic sphere than us he's on a whole different level he's totally set apart from us and yet he's completely intimus, intimate with us in every way you remember in exodus 20 verse 8 where it says remember the sabbath day and keep it holy well that day ought to be different than the other days that's what it means or Leviticus chapter 21, verse 8, where it says that the priests were to be holy. They were to be different than other men. They were set apart to serve God. So holy means to be set apart, to be different. To have, you might say, another sphere of living. exist in another quality of being. That's basically what it means when we say God is holy. He's totally on a different level. God is separated from us. God is uncommon, He's extraordinary, He's unearthly, He's separated from sinners, He's holy. He's undefiled. And now out of that comes the idea of us giving reference to His name. Because that's what He demands. You remember back in in Numbers chapter 20, you can turn there if you want, verse 2. Fourth book in the Bible, Numbers chapter 20, verse 2. You remember the story, there's no water there for the congregation, it says, So they gathered together unto Moses and against Aaron. So immediately, because there was no water, they were a little parched, they took it out on their poor leaders. <laughs> They blamed him for the lack of water. And it says, And the people strove with Moses and spoke, saying, Would God, we had died when our brethren died before the Lord. Why have you brought us into this wilderness, excuse me, that we and our cattle should die here? And wherefore have you made us to come up out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? In other words, is is this what you had in mind, guys? Because we're not having fun. You know, we got a little dry. The tongue's kind of sticking to the roof of our mouth. We want some water. It's no place of the seed, figs, vines, pomegranates. Neither is there any water to drink. And it says, And Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared unto them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, and here's what he said. Listen carefully. Take your rod and gather your assembly together, thou and thy brother Aaron, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes. And it shall give forth water. And thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation and beasts drink. Okay, you want some water? Take the rod, go over there, speak to the rock, and you'll get water. Do it in front of everybody. So here's Moses. What did God tell him to do? Speak. Let's look at what he does. Verse 9 Moses took the rod before the Lord as he commanded him. Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation before the rock, and he said unto them, Hear now, ye rebels! (laughs) It's a little ticked off, I bet. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with the rod he smote it, not once, but twice. Hit the rock twice with the rod. What did God tell him to do? Speak. Right? What's he doing here? He's hitting the rock, not once, but twice. It's interesting that God speaks of the grace of God. He didn't make the congregation pay for Moses' sin. (laughs) You see that? Because it says, water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and the beasts also. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, and listen what he says. Because you believe me not to sanctify me. See that? To sanctify me. That's the same word in the Septuagint, which means holy, which means hallowed, in the the text we're looking at this morning. It means, you do not see me as one to be revered, to be honored to be glorified, to be set apart, to be obeyed. And because you didn't do that, in the eyes of the children of Israel, you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. Pretty hefty fine to pay there, Moses, for your anger and your disobedience. And he never entered the promised land because he hit the stupid rock. See, Moses was going about this all wrong. He he kind of figured, well, you know, before I hit the rock and it worked, that's what I was told to do before. I, you know, I uh, I don't know if God can do this if I don't hit the rock. That was his previous experience, and I think Moses had a little bit of ego involved here. He wanted him to kind of be, you know, get him out of this hot spot with all the people being mad, and and if he if he showed some, you know. uh authority here and hit that rock and the water came forth maybe they would look at him and say whoa this guy's got some powers we better not complain that much more had a little glory in it for himself but he was disobeying the command from god he was stealing his glory and he was disobeying god he didn't sanctify god he didn't hallow god so to hallow God's name, it means to what? To hold His matchless being in reverence so that you will believe what He says and then you will obey it. In other words, a simple way of putting it is, is basically you're exalting God. You're looking at God for all He is and all He can do and everything He stands for and you're saying, wow, you are holy God. That's why it comes back to Matthew right after he says, Our Father in Heaven. Our Daddy in Heaven. But don't you ever think that you can just hop up and jump up and down on Daddy's knee and slap him in the face and Daddy's not going to do anything. Because Daddy is also the God who needs to be revered. See, we don't want to get too buddy-buddy with God. And that's what we've done, I believe, in American Christianity today. We've brought God down to our level. And so we have churches where you know people come in and you know drink their cappuccinos and watch videos and play video games and, and and all this stuff happens, and nobody thinks anything of it. See God is somebody who needs to be revered. God is somebody who needs to be looked at as exalted as a matter of fact, every time in the Jewish mind when they would address God as Father, they would always follow it up with something. They would say something like, O oh Lord, Father, ruler of my life. Just to kind of reaffirm that God is God and we're not. Oh God, our Father, great, great, great power or, or Most High or Almighty. They'd say all these things. And in certain prayers they would pray, they would say over and over again, Our Father, and then they would follow it up with Our King. Just don't get too comfortable with God as your daddy. He is that. And He cares for you immensely as we saw last week. But He is also someone who needs to be set apart. That's why in First Peter, it says there, uh, sanctify the Lord God in your heart. In your heart. It's the same word. Reverence God. Treat God as Holy. Well, we can say that, but how do we practically do this? How does this actually flesh out in our lives, you might say? Well, number one, it's not just by saying holy is Lord. I mean, that's true, but that's no different than the Jews saying that. They didn't mean it. I think we hollow His name when we believe that He exists. When we believe that He exists, we hollow His name. We, we set God apart in saying, God, I believe that you exist. Hebrews eleven six says, "He that come, comes to God must believe that He is." That's the first step. Do you believe that God exists? This week, Kirk Cameron will be over at the church over at uh, in Fremont there, and he's going to be sharing his testimony. And there was a point in time where he didn't believe God exists; he was total atheist. And God touched his heart and opened his eyes. And through uh, the miracle of salvation, his eyes were awakened to the existence of God and then also his, his own d- depravity and sinfulness. And he came to Christ for salvation. Here's a kid that had everything. And he gave it up, basically, to follow Christ. Why? Because he exists. There's a lot of scientists. Sir James, Jones, the uh, uh, astron- astronomer, says, no astronomer could ever be an atheist. I mean, when you start looking, even Kant, the philosopher, one quote says, "The law within us and the starry heavens above drive us to God." Now, he was messed up in a lot of areas, but he got that right. See, God is evident all around us. You can't you, you you can believe that God exists because He does, and therefore we should. That's how we can hallow His name. Secondly, quickly there. We can also hallow His name not only by knowing that He exists, but also knowing the kind of God that He is. Do you know what kind of God you serve? Or are you just kind of familiar with Him? See, this is where... This is where the line begins where false doctrine can creep in and really create a havoc in your life and the life of churches and everything else when people don't realize and don't understand the characteristics and the attributes of God. Because when something happens in your life, if you don't understand the characteristics of God, if you don't understand that, hey, this thing is happening for a purpose, you could turn to God and shake your fist at God and say, Why are you allowing this to happen? I'm going to doubt you now. I disbelieve that you even exist. And you can go down that whole road questioning God. We're in no position to question God about anything. And when we do that, that doesn't set him apart as God. Even Job fell into that problem. He was trying to figure out why he was in the dilemma he was in. And he said this, Thou art cruel to me. God, could God be cruel? I don't think so. I don't believe that's in His within his... Um, characteristics to be to be cruel. What we're going through may seem really cruel, but when you understand that, you know what, nothing happens outside of the sovereign hand of God in your life as a believer, unless he allows it to, then there must be a purpose for it. Yeah, but you don't understand. You know, I got this disease. Well, you know what, God allowed you to get it, because he could have definitely prevented it. You don't understand, you know, my kid, well, you know what, he could have, you know, made things happen differently with your kids, but that's that's what happened. And I'm not saying you just sit back in the armchairs of grace and have a fatalistic attitude toward life. That's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about putting God in his rightful place through prayer, hallowing his name. Thirdly, we hallow his name when we're constantly aware of his presence. Knowing that he is, knowing who he is, and bringing that into our everyday mind, realizing that he's there with us all the time. Uh, Psalm sixteen eight said, David said, "I have set the Lord always before me." I mean, it's kind of like in the morning, just put God sunglasses on, and everything you see is, is through God's perspective, God vision. All right, it, kind of a thing like that. That's what we need. Because when we start seeing th- things through our own vision that 's when we start to question that 's when we start to doubt that 's when we get all depressed and worn out and, and just oh you know just want to give up because we lose sight of who God really is. just this last week, it was interesting Crystal and will had bought this house, their first house they 're all excited they got basically everything done. the escrow closed they got the keys to the house. The, the, the first couple of days, they had contractors in there ripping out carpets, putting in floors, putting in a, a ripping out a wall, and doing all this work. And then the real estate agent calls, or somebody called the title company, and said, "Oh, you know what? We can't give you the title." Hello? What do you mean you can't give me the title? You know, escrow's done. Everything's done. And I think Crystal said to her mom, "You know, hey, you know what? I mean, whatever. I mean, if this doesn't work out." We're definitely going to benefit from a lawsuit because that's what the realtor told me because this is all wrong. But maybe God doesn't want us to live there. Maybe he wants us to live somewhere else. Good attitude. Didn't react. Didn't go crazy. Sure, it was a little pressure, but it did work out. Actually, the lawyer for the real estate agent paid the title company a thousand bucks wherever they wanted it. I don't know. And uh, and then the, the, the lawyer's going to sue the title company. But at least my daughter's got her title, so that's all that matters. But see, sometimes things happen in our life and if we don't know the characteristic of God, if we don't know that God's there with us, we could stop and panic. And rather than respond to the situation, we react to it. See, that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to react. He wants you to get all upset and bent out of shape and begin to question, why is this happening to me, God? Why, why, why? And you know, pretty soon you're questioning your faith and all this stuff. You're looking at evildoers You're saying, look at them, they're benefiting. Oh, why aren't I trying to do the right thing? And pretty soon you're in this big pity party and God's got to bring someone along or He comes along Himself and picks you up and says, hey, you know, this isn't what this is about. I'm with you always. And then the fourth thing there, we hallow the name of God when we live a life of obedience. See, that's the key. And these things build upon each other. If you look at that, they definitely build upon each other. You have to believe that He exists. And once you believe that He exists, you want to know more about Him. You want to know who He is. What kind of God would it be if He couldn't know who He is? And then, once you know who He is, you begin to realize that He's aware. He's he's around us all the time. We want to be aware of His presence. And because of that, we definitely want to live in obedience to Him. That's what God calls us to. I've given you a list there of practical ways that you can live in obedience to Him. Confessing Him as Lord. Confessing sin. Showing faith. Bearing fruit. Praising Him. Being content. That's a big one. Being content. By proclaiming the truth. Sharing God's word. Sexual purity. Sexual purity. Being unified. See, all those things are pleasing to God. That's what it means to be obedient to God. And so when we hallow God's name, when we set Him apart, it definitely should have a real life impact in our our own lives. It's not just a phrase you say as part of the Lord's Prayer. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, Paul says, Whatever you do whatever you do, doesn't matter what it is, whatever you do, whether you, look at what he lists here, eat, <laughs> God cares about it. whether we drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of who? God. Do it all for His glory. That's the way we're to live. That's what we're called, that's the standard we're called to. Do we always do it? No. No. <laughs> we never do it. A lot of times we never do it. And and it's it's important for us to understand that God wants us to. He wants us to live for his glory. He doesn't want prayer to be something that we tag on at the beginning of a meal or you know at the end of a service or whatever. He wants it to be a communion between him and us. And when we let our light shine before men and they see our good works and they do what? They glorify our Father who is in heaven. Then His name is hallowed. Then His name is set apart. Then His name is exalted. That's what God wants from us. Let's close in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts for our communion time. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. Lord, the, the psalmist wrote, "O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Father, as we come to the Lord's table this morning, I pray that our hearts would be right before You. Lord, if, if there's any hindrance to our worship this morning, if there's known sin in our lives, Lord, Your Word calls us clearly to confess it to You. And claim the forgiveness that's available there, Father. If we confess our sin, Your Word says that You are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we thank You that that cleansing is possible because of this table, because of the sacrifice that You made that this table symbolizes on Calvary. And Father, I pray that as we prepare our hearts to partake of our communion time together. I pray that we would humble ourselves before You. Lord, we thank You that You are our Father in Heaven. And Lord, we also thank You that You are a God who is holy. And Father, we thank You and we praise You. In Jesus' name, Amen.